Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. What's up, y'all? Welcome back to another episode of All Right, Let's Talk About It. My name is Savannah. I am your host. I do film reviews and film industry commentary. And this episode is slightly different, but not really. This is combining two things. We're talking about a movie and we're also talking a little bit about the industry, so to speak. So I saw a movie over the break. I guess you, I still call it a break. I haven't been in school in God knows how long, but I still call it the winter break. I saw The Color Purple Christmas Day, I think like most people did. And I had thoughts and I shared those thoughts on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube, just my normal TikTok review. And I didn't do a full review of it. Number one, I really didn't have the time or the space or the quiet to do a full review over the break. And number two, I really didn't want to. I kind of wanted to just take a little break and just catch up on movies that I hadn't seen. You know, mainly movies that were streaming like Nyad, May, December, and just, you know, relax before we get into the new year. And then I get back to business. So I really wasn't all that interested in recording a full review. I felt like I said what I needed to say in the TikTok review. But I feel like there's much more to say here. Um, I wouldn't say there's controversy surrounding the color purple, but there's definitely conversation. So the color, here's the thing. The color purple opens Christmas day at, at 18.1 million. That's a great number, right? Uh, for me, I'm like, yay, you made money on the day when most people have the day off. Like one of the biggest movie weekends of the year, like good for you. Right. But that's still a good number. It's the second biggest opening. I think for Christmas day opening, I should say, I think that's something to clarify here because there are plenty of movies that have made more money on Christmas Day, but this is the second biggest Christmas Day opening of all time. And this is actually the biggest Christmas Day opening since 2009. So that's huge, right? And that big number, you would think this movie is going to be a hit. However, that was on a Monday. Then we get to Tuesday and the box office drops 61%. And I remember posting on this app I'm on called Criticless and asking, you know, people who are much smarter with the box office than I am, like, is this good? Like, this doesn't look good. And one of the guys that I um, follow on there, OMB Reviews, he's like, yeah, it looks like it's going to be a flop. I'm like, okay. So I decided to just wait. I I thought this would be something interesting to talk about right up my alley, looking at numbers, seeing how movies perform. 
um, and also seeing how that works within the culture and what's shifting and what's moving. But I, I decided to wait. I wanted to see what it would do. So 18.1 million um, day opening, very front loaded, drops 61% the next day and then continues to drop. They get a little bit of a boost come the weekend right before New Year's and a little bit of a boost New Year's Day. Well, that seven day difference from Christmas Day to New Year's Day, a drop of 80 2%, I believe it was. It was somewhere in the 80s. That's not good. What's going on? What's happening? Like, this was supposed to be a bona fide hit. I figured people would be lining up to see this. You know, we all know what the color purple is. People love Taraji P. Henson. Um, Oprah and Steven Spielberg gave, you know, the thumbs up, their approval. Their names are attached to it as producers. And, you know, Oprah has been promoting the absolute heck out of it. And the cast, you know, what they've been able to promote because, you know, the strike ended in November. They're delightful to watch. They seem to get along, have great chemistry. Like, they seem to be fun when it comes to interviewing. You know, Halle Bailey is in this. She was in Little Mermaid earlier this year. Fantasia Barino, who was on American Idol. This is actually her first feature film. I didn't realize that. But... What happened? Because they did 18.1 million opening day, their first weekend comes around and they don't make more than, I think it was like 11 million that opening weekend altogether. And it has not recovered. It's at a point now where it's not even making a million dollars a day. It's out of that 1 million club. And we have a new weekend movies coming up. Mean Girls, The Book of Clarence, two big movies coming out. Uh, I'd say Mean Girls is probably b- bigger than The Book of Clarence, definitely. But, you know, this is when theater counts start to drop. And usually it's a couple hundred, maybe like somewhere in the tens, right? You know, somewhere less than a hundred. Over 2,000 theaters, I think it's 2,040 theaters less than when they started. So what's happening I can give you the exact number. Hold on tight. So yes, so the color purple started out at, um, I believe it was actually a little bit less than this. They actually gained a couple theaters over the over the days, but 3,218, that's how many they had Wednesday night. 3,218. Now, what they're dropping for the weekend, they dropped 2,040 theaters and they now only have 1,178 theaters. That's not good. This movie debuted at number one day one and has not been back number one since. It dropped out of the top three very quickly and now it's struggling to stay in the top 10. What happened? I'm going to give you my thoughts on the movie just somewhat expanding on what I've already said and then we're going to talk about this this shift and this drop because figuring out the why and understanding the why I think is going to help black films in the future so stick with me someone in one of my comment sections asked why do I hold, in a sense, they were asking this, but why do I hold black films to a higher standard? I don't. Um, I mean, what do you mean by higher? I think that's my first question. Higher than what? Higher than who? Higher than other movies? Or, or why do I hold this these movies in a higher regard than maybe other people who critique or review movies? Are, are we saying that 
black films are held to a lower standard. This is my thing when it comes to critiquing black films, something I've noticed when it comes to critiquing black films, looking at reviews, I tend to hold, and I've said this before, but I tend to hold what critics say with a grain of salt because critics tend to hold black films to a much lower standard. Why? Because they're cowards. They don't want to be labeled racist. They don't want their opinions to be dismissed so they can say something agreeable or fixate on the one thing the movie does right, like the movie Till. Everyone fixated on Danielle Deadweiler's performance, but when you zoom out and look at everything else, the movie is not that well put together. There are a lot of imperfections. But thank God for her performance, because that really held the movie together. But if you took her away, the movie is just flat boring, dry, and the acting is not that good. She didn't really have much of a supporting cast. There was no one really to support her at all in her performance. She carried that thing on her own and she really shouldn't have. Understandably so, this is the story of Emmett Till from her perspective. But like, I would expect everyone else to know what they're doing and it's like they didn't. The director was very focused on perfecting Danielle's performance that she just ignored everything else. A lot of reviewers did not comment on the rest of the film. They just really fixated on Danielle Deadweiler's performance. And I've noticed this a lot with black films is that when a movie comes out, they tend to fixate on the one thing they're doing right. So with the color purple, the acting. The acting here is the high point of the movie. Great performances. But I feel like they're hyping these performances bigger than they they actually deserve to be hyped up. And I know people are going to get mad about that, but you know, you have Fantasia Barino who was nominated for a Golden Globe. She missed the SAG nomination and people were like, Oh my God, I can't believe like, what do you mean you can't believe? Here's the thing with the SAG awards is I tend to take, take them less seriously than the Golden Globes or the Oscars or even the other guild awards because SAG tends to play favorites with certain genres, with certain movie types, even with certain actors and actresses. They're a little more DEI aware than the rest of the guilds in that they won't want to um, nominate too many white people in one category or they will shy away from nominating an all white category. Does that make sense? So... I never know what's genuine with SAG and what's not. Is this person nominated because they gave a great performance or are they here to make sure the category itself is not all white? That's SAG. And it's unfortunate and it, it makes me angry because there were some talented black men and women from this past year. Were there a whole lot? No, we are only 12% of the freaking population. I don't know why people expect it to be 50-50, but there were some standouts, T- uh, Tiana Taylor from 1001 earlier this year, Coleman Domingo and Rustin. There were some stellar performances. There were some great movies that came out. I liked The Blackening. I think I had one issue with it, but I liked The Blackening. It was a great comedy. And the fact that we're not talking about that enough really makes me upset. And then there were some abysmal failures from Black directors or Black actors or what have you, The Marvels. But there is plenty of talented Black actors and actresses who deserve their recognition without being used as the token. SAG tends to do that. They tend to tokenize their categories and it, it upsets me a bit and I got a little off tangent, but you know, Fantasia Barino um, missed the SAG nomination. However, Danielle Brooks has been nominated across the board, critics associations, um, you know, film societies, you know, golden globe. She got a nomination for best supporting actress and 
also for the SAG nominations. Now, my personal opinion with the supporting actress field, I feel like that's the weakest field of the year. Not to discount her performance or invalidate it anyway. I think she did a good job, but for me, it wasn't Oscar good. Not in comparison to the rest of the women nominated, who I felt like gave, you know, beginning to end great performances, whereas... Danielle Brooks' performance, I felt, was a little spotty. She had moments of greatness, like a great scene. But her greatest scene, which I think people are like, oh, my God, she did so well. Oprah did the exact same scene, and she did it better. You know, it's a very memorable, very heartfelt. There's something about it that kind of hits to the core, that scene. That scene at the dinner table right before Celie leaves Mr. That was, like, her best scene. And I think that's the scene where people are like, oh, my God, she totally deserves an Oscar. Ugh. I don't know. Like, I'm sorry. I've seen a lot of movies this year and I've seen a lot of supporting actresses give performances that were stellar from beginning to end and they didn't just have one great scene. But I digress. It's the acting that a lot of critics are seeming to focus on and they ignore everything else. This is typical with black films and critics. They don't want to be called racist. They don't want to be dismissed. They don't want to be treated as just another white person with an opinion and yada, yada, yada. Black films are not held to the same standard. Black films aren't held to a high standard at all, which is why you have issues or things that happen like The Color Purple, where people have these high expectations come awards and it doesn't happen and they're like why because your movie wasn't that good to begin with it was never that good don't let the critics fool you the critics don't want to be called racist they'd rather call the movie good when it's not than be called racist now is the color purple a terrible movie not in the slightest it's entertaining it's a crowd pleaser of a movie there are just certain things about it that just didn't work in terms of calling this a best picture nominee when looking at the other films that are being considered for best picture the color purple doesn't fit for me it's not a total package film it's just not there were some choices in terms of framing during the musical numbers it was almost like he was afraid to kind of capture the performances it was it was like he was afraid to take risk with the camera it was very standard very basic but not like you know, someone who is a professional who knows how to work the basics and make them look good. But this was someone who was afraid to take the necessary risk in order to capture the magnitude of these dancing numbers, really capture the color and whatnot. I didn't like the way the movie was, the way, the way he framed a lot of these musical sequences. And then also with the musical sequences is that everything in between the music was very dry, very lifeless. Um, there wasn't much of a narrative or a plot. The movie kind of rushed itself, which is kind of typical of musicals. But they, they still leave room for a narrative and a story. This movie really didn't do that. He used the musical numbers as fillers, as transition points in order to move the story along because the narrative couldn't do that. It's very front heavy with musical numbers. And then we get to that midpoint where we're seeing less musical numbers. The singing's great. The songs are good, not memorable at all. But the only memorable song is the song Workin', which is now trending on TikTok. It's viral. Everyone's creating their own little moves to it. And, you know, it's it's fun. It's a it's a fun little number. But that's the only memorable song from The Color Purple. And I believe that movie is not, that song is not eligible for award contention. I can't remember why. I can't remember if it's because it's not submitted or if it's not an original. Again, I didn't see the stage play. But it, it the, the director just seemed out of his league. I felt like this could have been done better by like a Baz Luhrmann. 
You know, a Rob Marshall, Rob Marshall, who directed The Color Purple, but he also did Chicago and Memoirs of a Geisha. Like, I feel like this would have been more his alley. This would have been, this should have been handled by someone who knows how to shoot musicals, someone who knows how to, how to direct musicals, someone who knows how to turn, take a musical and turn it into a cinematic narrative. This director didn't know how to do that. It was very evident to me that this director was in over his head. The director really didn't know how to, how to direct the shots. He didn't know how to frame the shots. He really didn't under, seem to understand blocking all that well. It looked like I was watching a bunch of little music videos. It was very episodic because there wasn't really a plot. There was nothing tethering these scenes together. It was just very episodic. Like we were watching like little different stories and we were supposed to piece them together ourselves. The director was out of his league, but we're living in, it's 2024, right? This was 2023. We're living in a time right now where people are very picky about who tells quote unquote black stories. They need black directors to tell black stories. Well, this black director, I believe is Ghanaian or Nigerian. One of the two, but I believe he's from Ghana. Nope. Yeah. He's got, he's from Ghana. I remember um, seeing his bio and it said Accra Ghana. It's one of my favorite things to say is Accra Ghana. Don't ask me why, but yeah, it's one of my favorite things to say. And even still, you'll have people within the black community who are very picky. Well, he has to be Eidos, um, an Afro, a descent, and what is it, an American descendant of slaves? I think is what it means. So it it can't just be any black person. It has to be a black person who is the descendant of a slave, and it has to be a black person who is a black American and African American. Um, you'll even see in some conversations where people get mad because it's an African who is telling black stories. I mean, that's what happened with 12 Years a Slave. Um, Steve McQueen is British. And British, black, I don't know what you call them, black British people, because, you know, they call us black Americans, African-Americans. What do you call yourselves over there when you're distinguishing between, you know, white and black? Or do you not do that at all? If you're British and you listen to this, please tell me. I'm very curious. Because in the States, you know, I would be called a black American or an African-American. What is the British counterpart to that? But Steve McQueen, who is black, is British. Blitz Bazwale is Ghanaian. And then you have the young woman who directed Till. I cannot pronounce her name for the life of me. Beautiful name, though. She's Nigerian. She's born in the States, but she's Nigerian. She is first generation American, if I'm not mistaken. So she doesn't have the history of slavery that we all have. And apparently having this history makes us great storytellers. It means we're the only ones who are able to tell our stories. We're the only ones who are able to interpret the culture correctly. I don't buy that. I don't believe in that. Either you're a good storyteller or you're not. Either you know what you're doing or you're not. Either you're a skilled director or you're not. And this kind of movie with this type of budget, a $100 million budget, should have had a director with more experience, especially if you're wanting to push this movie to be an Oscar contender. Because at this point, it's looking like the only Oscar nomination they're going to get is Best Supporting Actress. And that's only because the field is so dang weak. But if Penelope Cruz is being recognized by the actors in SAG, it's it's very possible she's going to get recognized by the actors at the Oscars because a lot of these, you know, these guild members and Academy members, they overlap. Now, the SAG Awards didn't apparently doesn't like May, December, but that might look a little bit different for the Oscars. So if Natalie Portman gets in and so does Penelope Cruz and chances are Danielle Brooks is out and Color Purple doesn't get nominated for anything because I love Fantasia Barina, but Fantasia Barina is not getting nominated for Best Actress Oscar. No way. 
No way, that field is stacked. And her performance was good, but it's not Oscar good. But she got nominated for a Golden Globe. Yeah, in a field of 12. <laughs> Keep in mind, the way Best Actor and Best Actress works at the Golden Globes is they split the categories, you know, drama and then comedy or musical. So she's in a field of 12. In a category of six. Where does she fit in that 12 and six? Once you break it down and rank it, where does she fit in terms of votes? I guarantee she's not in that top five. I wonder if she's even in the top 10. That field for best actress is stacked. The field for best picture is stacked. I don't imagine the color purple getting in there. This is not a total package film. It's entertaining. It's a crowd pleaser, but overall it's not memorable. It doesn't stand out. It doesn't break any new ground. It doesn't justify, it's not good enough to justify its existence. Because while this may be an adaptation of the stage musical, for most people, it's a remake of that 1985 film. They're not going to see it any different, no matter how many times you tell them. They're still going to be looking at Fantasia Barino and comparing her to Whoopi Goldberg. They're still going to be looking at Taraji P. Henson and comparing her to the woman whose name I can never remember, but she played Suge Avery. They're going to be looking at Danielle Brooks and comparing her to Oprah Winfrey. They're going to be looking at Coleman Domingo, who was amazing in Rustin, but he's a little subdued in The Color Purple. They're going to be comparing comparing him to Danny Glover. I mean, I've talked to people who are still mad every time they see um, the color purple or they see Danny Glover. They're just angry because they remember how well he played that role. If it weren't for angels in the outfield, I don't think anybody would love that man. But you know, you've done a good job when generations later, (laughs) decades later, people are still looking at you like, "Mm, he was Mr. Like, I can't look at Kiefer Sutherland with a straight face because of a time to kill. But that's Danny Glover. That's what he's done. His role, his performance was so memorable. Women are still mad at him. Did Coleman Domingo do that? Did he give a performance that would piss off women for the next 30 years? No. Sorry. I don't know what to tell you, but no. This movie is just not good enough to justify its existence. It's almost unnecessary. Did we really need this? And then on top of that, the deceptive marketing. So you have the fact that they didn't market this as a musical, which is not their fault. I'm not going to blame them for that. Musicals in general are hard to market. But also saying star-studded cast. Who? Taraji P. Henson? Yeah, I know who Coleman Domingo is, but he's not a household name, not yet. The only household name in this movie that would that's easily recognizable by a mass of people is Taraji P. Henson. But if you're looking at the black community, they know who Fantasia Barino is. This is when you say start study cast. I think these are the cast members that only people within the black community are going to recognize as household names. And that's part of the problem. That's where we get into the issue of this being a box office flop because people are wondering, why did this happen? Why is it flopping? It should have been, you know, more. Why did more people come out and see it? A part of it is that target audience. And we're going to talk about that. One of my favorite things about this time of year and it being award season, right, is you'll see a lot of campaigning and um, conversations and interviews with a lot of actors, directors and producers. 
Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Serious. But the round tables are particularly my favorite. I think it's Variety does one. I think they do like a back and forth. The Hollywood Reporter does a round table with actors, actors, directors, and so on and so forth. And I, I love listening to them talk about the movies they've been in over the past year because I love the process. And what they talk about is not just how entertaining it is, but also the process, especially talking to actors and what it took for them to get into the character, the steps they took, methods they used, um, how long it took and just the collaboration efforts, especially listening to Emma Stone, who was in Poor Things, talk about the process of creating Bella with Yorgo Lanthimos. I love it. But Barbie, especially Margot Robbie, and I love listening to her talk about Barbie, this passion project that they really had to pitch to Mattel and Warner Brothers. Like, we can do this. Like, we want you to invest in this, but not just convincing them that this was going to be a good movie, but that it would be a quote unquote four quadrant film. What does that mean? A four quadrant movie. It's just a fancy way of saying that this is, we are going to create a movie that appeals to everyone. Well, the four quadrants are you have men over 25, women over 25, men under 25, women under 25. Now, obviously within those groups, you have little niches and whatnot, but those are your four main demographics, your four main target audiences to think about when creating and pushing out a film. For example, most of your superhero movies are four quadrant movies. They appeal to the masses. Now they might be more directed towards men over and under 25 or men in general, I guess you could say. But for the most part, they have mass appeal. Everybody likes them. Oppenheimer, four-quadrant movie. This is one of the reasons why Marvel does so well. Four-quadrant movies. Super Mario Brothers, four-quadrant movie. 
These are movies that appeal to the masses. Disney movies, for the most part, are usually four quadrant movies. Even their animated films, even though they're mostly for kids, there's something about it. I think because a lot of us, we grew up with it. So there's there's a draw to it. Like, I can't wait to see Inside Out too. I can't watch Inside Out. I watched it for the first time this past summer and I cried. What is it with Pixar doing that? I'm sorry, tangent. But why does Pixar do that? Why does Pixar keep creating these movies where I just cry? Like the end of Toy Story 3? I won't even watch Toy Story 4. I'm so mad. I feel, I feel betrayed. Up? Are you serious? I, I brought, took some friends and we went to go see it on my birthday, whatever year that came out, and they were so mad at me. But anyways, four quadrant movies, movies that appeal to the masses. Now, when it gets a little tricky is when you have movies that are designed to appeal to one quadrant or two, which is fine. But when you're creating a movie that only that's only designed to appeal to a certain de- demographic, like no one else is going to watch this. Women aren't really going to be interested in this. Women under 25 are not going to be interested in, interested in this. Your budget needs to reflect that. And that's been a big issue in 2023 is you have these studios spending four quadrant money on one quadrant movies, the Marvels, for instance. Now, I said before, the reason why Marvel's movies do so well is because they're typically four quadrant movies. Now, they're movies that are usually directed at dudes. But the thing with movies directed at dudes is they still have mass appeal. Even though they're mainly for guys, girls enjoy them too. Whereas the opposite doesn't always work. Movies that are directed at girls, boys aren't always that interested in. That's just how it is. I'm sorry. Some people are like, well, we need to change that. No, we don't. It's okay that men and women are different. It's okay that we have different interests. It's okay that the things that women love, men find no interest in. That's okay. That's normal. That's natural. It's okay. But the problem with the Marvels is it abandoned that four quadrant model and decided they wanted to focus and target this movie towards women under the age of 25, specifically women under the age of 25 who are not interested in superhero movies because the Marvels already had a well-established female fan base, loyal female female fans who are going to see a Marvel movie regardless, but then you get this movie that's supposed to be for them and it doesn't look like it's for them. And instead it looks like it's every other crappy female led movie with insufferable female characters who are two dimensional. And it, it looks like some kind of teeny bopper superhero version of sleepover. I love that movie, by the way, I don't mean to insult it, but you know what I mean? Marvel, for whatever reason, decided we're going to abandon our core male audience and create a movie that only a slim part of the population is going to love. And we're going to spend over $200 million to create it. On what planet? Like Disney gave up after a month in terms of, you know, reporting numbers like they decided not to even care about it anymore. (laughs) It swiftly left theaters like either earlier this week or the week before. And it's going on video on demand relatively soon. Like, that's what happens. Don't spend four quadrant money on a one quadrant film. What does this have to do with The Color Purple? Well, The Color Purple is what we call a one quadrant movie. This is why the movie tanked so bad. Is This movie is directed towards women over the age of 25, but not just any woman over the age of 25, black women over the age of 25. Now, keep in mind, like I said, we're about 12% of the population. Cut that in half. That's women. Now, I don't know how many times you got to cut in order to get women, black women over the age of 25, but that's the target audience. This movie costs $100 million to make. 
So in order for this movie to break even, in order for them to turn a profit, they have to make a little over $200 million. And that's just not, that's not just domestically, which is the United States and Canada, but it's also internationally. The problem is this is the type of American film that doesn't appeal to overseas markets. It just doesn't. This is not the type of movie that people who don't live in the United States would be interested in. It's not going to make very much money. And to make matters even worse, the movie doesn't come out in the UK at the very least until February. February. Every other movie that's come out this year, their international release dates are either before the American date. I think Wonka was one of those where the movie was released overseas before it even got to us. I believe Trolls was also the same way or it's released overseas and in the United States, same weekend. But no, we're almost two months until the rest of the world sees it. And I I know they're probably regretting that decision because, again, this movie is not making any money. It was very front-loaded. Again, front-loaded meaning it made a whole lot of money day one and almost nothing after that. I believe the percentage, its total box office, the percentage that is it's that that day one opening is like 33%. That's not good. And on top of that, it dropped over 2,000 theaters. So they're anticipating this movie to not make that much money. It's becoming way too expensive for theaters to keep. And Warner Brothers is losing way too much money on it. They know this is DOA. They know this isn't isn't going to make any money. The question is why? This is what happens when you spend four quadrant money on a one quadrant film. Not even a full quadrant. We're talking about a sliver of a quadrant. So this is supposed to appeal. The target audience here is black females. So what happened day one is the vast majority of people who wanted to see this movie, they saw it day one or day two. It's never made more than what it made day two. Day two was like 7 million, give or take, somewhere around there. It's never made more than that on a single day. Never. So pretty much everyone that really wanted to see this movie saw it day one and day two. And everyone else says, oh yeah, I'll make time for it. Okay. Yeah, I'll go see it. Sure. Why not? Well, I want to support the movie. So I'm going to watch it again. Like that's who's coming to see it. And it's mostly black women and their children whom they bring along. The movie's PG-13. And they tamed a good chunk of the story to appeal to a younger audience to make it appropriate for them as best they can, given that this story really is about domestic violence and all other sorts of things. But Yeah, they created a movie that was designed to appeal to a very small portion of the country. And they spent way too much money. Why would you spend that much money on a movie where the target audience doesn't doesn't have enough capital to push it to break even? So you have this movie that's targeted at black females specifically black females over the age of 25. And these black females, not only do they have to like musicals, but they also have to be okay with remakes. And they also have to be okay with watching quote unquote black trauma on screen, because that's been the new thing from people over the last year or so is I'm sick and tired of seeing black trauma on screen, or I'm sick and tired of seeing black men portrayed a certain way on screen. This is another issue that I'm seeing with black movies is you have people screaming, we want more black movies. We want more black stories. But anytime black people are portrayed as human beings, They want to throw a whole hissy fit. You can't have it both ways. Okay. We need something more than Wakanda. The only time some people want to see black people on screen is if we're superheroes. God forbid we come on screen being human. White people get that luxury. Hispanics get that luxury. Asians get that luxury. Black people, we can't be human on screen without somebody throwing a hissy fit. 
And it's not coming from people of other races, but it's coming from people who are brown like me. It's ridiculous. You can't sit here and scream, we want more black movies. But then when a black movie comes on the horizon and it shows black people as human beings, it shows black men who can be just as violent and disgusting and deplorable as white men, we have a problem. I remember when Wednesday came out last year, the series on Netflix, and people were throwing a whole hissy fit over Bianca, one of the characters. She's a black female character in the show, plays a siren, if I'm not mistaken. Beautiful, ball-headed queen, just like me. And people were getting angry because they're like, why is she portrayed as a mean girl? First off, she wasn't the mean girl. She was the it girl. She had one of the best character arcs in the whole series. And yet... You get a black girl who's portrayed not as a mean girl, as the it girl, and people want to complain. There's a problem. It's okay to show black people as something deeper than a kiddie pool, okay? It's it's okay to show that black people have depth, but people don't want to see that. And it's okay for people who are not black to watch these movies and enjoy them. That's another part of the problem. The problem with this movie, number one, is you have a whole bunch of money that's spent on a sliver of a quadrant. And on top of that, they never broke out of that sliver of a quadrant. They never were able to reach outside of that target audience. It never broke out of that target demographic. It wasn't like they were able to reach white women or white men. Whereas if this were a Tyler Perry movie, because I remember I used to work at a movie theater and when a lot of the Tyler Perry movies were coming out, you'd be amazed. Plenty of white people coming to see these movies and mainly because they had a Christian theme to them. So that was what attracted them to it. Also, the gospel nature of the movies. Really, people love it. They they love that. Even if that's not their normal Sunday, gospel music in general, people love it. So if this were like a Tyler Perry movie, you'd have a lot of white people coming to see those movies. His movies tend to have a little more of a mass appeal. A Spike Lee movie, I think there's a little bit of trust with Spike Lee, and especially the way he carries a lot of racial themes. People trust him to say what he needs to say. Trying to think of something else, you know, Wakanda Forever, Black Panther, these movies have mass appeal, but this movie has a very narrow appeal. It's not appealing to the masses. And when Warner Brothers tried on TikTok to reach outside of that target demographic, people threw a hissy fit. Okay, here's the thing with TikTok is everybody has a niche. Everybody has a thing. And so Warner Brothers decided to reach out to people who do beauty content. So makeup artists, uh, people who do hair, wigs, bake cupcakes, do nails, and ask them to help them promote the movie by doing whatever it is they do inspired by the color purple. So you had one person who decided to dye their hair wig, their hair wig, their hair, their wig purple. And people got so mad, they took down that video, didn't take any money from the campaign. You had one girl who did her makeup, and it was pretty, very subtle. And people were like, see, this is how you do it. This is how you campaign for a movie. The problem is a lot of people seem to think because this is a Black film, in a sense, like it's directed by Black people, has a majority Black cast, that this movie somehow belongs to us. No, it belongs to Warner Brothers. And Warner Brothers should be allowed to market the film however they see fit. You know, they're here to make money, not to please the already locked in target demographic. I saw that question go around a bit. How come they didn't reach out to black female content creators? Why would they? That'd be such a waste of money. They already have the black female audience over 25 on lock. What they needed to do was to reach out to white people and get them interested in the movie. So the best way to do that is to reach into areas where white women may also be interested, which is makeup and hair. You'd be surprised how many white women will sit there and watch a woman put on a black woman and put on a lace front 
or watch a woman put her hair into a black woman put her hair into a bonnet or watch black women get their hair braided. You would be surprised. There's a huge something fell. There's a huge audience of white women who watch these videos. And yet when Warner Brothers tried to reach that demographic, users on TikTok just put a nipped it in the bud. It's ridiculous. So why did this movie flop? The answer is very simple. They spent four quadrant money on a one quadrant film that's designed to reach a not even half of that quadrant. The budget's too big. The budget is way too big for the target audience. This movie shouldn't have cost them more than, golly, maybe $35 If you knew your target audience was that tiny, $35 should have been your go-to. When it comes to budgeting for a film, you always have to look at the return. What's the profit going to look like? If this is our target target audience, is it worth spending this much money on it? Nobody was asking those questions at Warner Brothers, apparently, when they said, yeah, this looks like a great movie to spend $100 million on. They can't even hit $6 million, bless their heart. $60 million. This thing should have hit $60 million after its first weekend. This thing should be on its way to pass $100 million. This movie should be on its way to breaking even. Instead, it lost over half of its theaters. And they're preparing to cycle it out. I give it maybe three, maybe four more weeks. Maybe to mid-February, this movie is not going to be in theaters much longer. And if this movie doesn't get a Best Picture nod from the Oscars and those nominations come out on the 23rd, I don't imagine this movie is going to be in theaters much longer because at this point, that's why the movie is still in theaters. It's to get as many people seeing it, hopefully industry people who vote. I don't think they can justify spending any more money on this movie, especially when they're not getting a return in the box office. Their best hope is to keep it in theaters as long as they can and hoping that people who do vote in the Oscars, because voting opened yesterday, that they see it and they take some things into consideration. But if there isn't a best picture nod in two weeks, I imagine this movie is not going to be in theaters much longer. But hopefully this is a lesson learned from Hollywood. Stop spending four quadrant money on one quadrant movies. If you're going to, you know, have a musical, mark it, take the plunge. You know, take a risk and market it as a musical. Do what Matilda did, Netflix with Matilda. They took one little 30-second sequence from that movie, put it on TikTok, and that thing went viral. People ate that little dance scene up. Ate it up. There is one song in this movie that they could have used as a viral movement, as a um, marketing promotional moment on TikTok prior to the movie's release. But they didn't. They didn't capitalize on that at all. Instead, you have people who were in the movie theater um, recording the scene with their phones and posting it to TikTok when Warner Brothers could have taken control of that. I mean, I am all for wanting more quality Black films. It would be a nice thing to see. But we have to be realistic in terms of budget. If we're creating Black movies that are targeted towards Black individuals, the budget needs to reflect that. We're only 12% of the population. Unless you're creating a Black 
film that has four quadrant appeal, there is no reason to spend more than $50 million on the dang budget. So hopefully they learn some things. Want to advertise on this podcast? Check the episode description to see how you can be featured on the next episode. Thank you for listening to me rant and rave about yet another movie. So that was The Color Purple, directed by Blitz Bazuale. And what were my overall thoughts of the movie? I thought it was just entertaining. It's a crowd pleaser of a movie. There are definitely some flaws, but I, I don't think it's an Oscar contender. I know many might disagree, but I just don't think so. It, it was just mid. It's just good enough. So what's coming up? That's a stellar question. I have so many things on my list to do. Award season is heavy. We just had the Golden Globe. SAG nominations came out. A lot of the Guild nominations came out. Art directors, directors guild, cinematographers. PGA comes out today. Oh my goodness. Um, and then we get Oscar nods in, I think, less than two weeks. Critics nomination, the Critics Choice Awards are this Sunday on the CW. I, so I probably won't be able to watch that. I don't have access to anything CW related. Yeah, that's the that's the best I got. So for those who didn't watch the Golden Globes, it was on Paramount Plus. I was wondering how they were going to do that. They played it live, so Paramount Plus has a live TV option where you can watch, you know, the shows that they own through the app so cbs related shows and that's how that worked and it'll be interesting to see how netflix works with the sag awards now why um the oscars are still doing you know oh let's play it on live television most people don't watch live tv anymore okay everyone is streaming something just put it on peacock or disney plus and play the thing live so we can watch it like why can't we do that i don't understand because it's still abc last time i checked which is owned by disney but who am I? So I saw the book of Clarence last night. I saw Mean Girls. I posted my little mini reviews for those on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube. So check those out. I'll be giving, I don't think there's really much more to say about Mean Girls, honestly, more than what I said. Very basic, but I, I think there's more of a conversation to be had about the book of Clarence. I'm going to give it the weekend and then I'll come back to y'all on Monday with that one. And then I'm seeing, I think next week is ISS with Ariana DeBose. And I think Chris Messina is in that as well. Whoever his agent is, like, he needs to buy him a steak dinner. Chris Messina has been in a lot the last year. He was an heir last year, which got a little bit of recognition from the Golden Globes in terms of nominations. He was in um, The Boogeyman, and he was in a little independent film with Casey Affleck called Dreamin' Wild. And now he's in this movie. At least it looks like Christmas scene. We're going to hope it's Christmas scene because I don't feel like looking it up right now. And then the week after that, I'm seeing Beautiful Wedding. So if you don't remember the movie last year that came out, Beautiful Disaster, this is a sequel to that. It is not based on any book that has come out from that series. Um, the way they got married in the book series is very different than what they're doing in this movie, but I will be seeing that. I got my ticket for it. And then I don't really know what comes out the week after that. I can't wait. A movie that I'm really looking forward to seeing, and I can't believe I'm excited about it, but Madame Webb, Madame Webb, or whatever we're calling it, like with Dakota Johnson and Sydney Sweeney, like I'm looking forward to that, honestly. But yeah, that's what's coming up. Uh, I need to give y'all a little recap on the Golden Globes, or at least what I thought, how I did in terms of predictions. And 
it's, it's a lot of award stuff coming. I've never been this invested. Usually I'm just invested in the Golden Globes and the SAG Awards and the Oscars, but like I am paying attention to everything. There's so many things to talk about. So bear with me while I collect all of my thoughts, but let me know what you thought of The Color Purple if you saw it. Let me know if, what you think about the budget and how it's doing at the box office. Love to hear from you. But other than that, I love you. You're amazing. I hope your 2024 is going well so far. And I will see you next time. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.